thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. It is so good to see you here on this Sunday, on a cold morning, uh, for you guys to come out and us together to make much of Jesus. So glad you are here. Now listen, maybe you got here a couple minutes late and you didn't get a chance. There's a card in your seat and uh, we're writing notes to a little boy named Cooper, uh, just barely I think just under two years old, who's battling cancer. Name C-O-O-P-E-R. If you came in just a little bit late, write out a note to him to encourage him. And we'll put those in the offering plate there at the end. And we're going to be sending him hundreds of cards uh, from today. And so love on him that way. Man, it's so good to see you on our Pledge Sunday. Uh, This is a big Sunday in the life of Connect Church. Many of you have already given pledges to our five-year vision. And we're so grateful. And today, we bring in all our pledges for the next two years of giving in the life of Connect Church for the next five years of vision. Now, uh, we've just gotten to the end of a sermon series on generosity, the risk and the reward of a generous life. Man, I loved our sermon series, and so today really ought to be a message on pledges, Uh, another message on giving or generosity, and, and I'll be honest with you, the Lord just wouldn't let me do it. There's been a message on my heart that really has nothing to do with pledges. This may be a pastor fail moment on a Sunday morning, not preaching about pledges on a pledge Sunday, but my goodness, there's been a message that has been on my heart that I can't wait to share with you guys today. And so if it's a pastor fail, it is. But let me take you back about 10 years ago. Uh, Aaron and I, we were at Valley Grove Baptist Church down the road there off Chapman Highway. And uh, I was full-time youth pastor there, but still really hard to make ends meet. And so I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a second job. And I'm going to try to find a job out in the mission field. And I'm going to find a job that's dangerous, that I can engage with people, with the gospel. And, and so I decided I was going to become a Sevier County school bus driver, right, for the schools. And, man, I loved it. What a great job. I had that job for anywhere around three or four months, only wrecked three times. It was wonderful. But I remember this. On one of those occasions... Um, I, was, uh, I was taking some kids. I'd picked them up all that morning. We were getting close to the Seymour schools. And I had a, just so you know, I had a brand new bus. Bus number 165 still out there today. I love that bus. Brand new. And I was on the worst roads in Sevier County. I drove my school bus, if you know this area at all, off Chapman Highway, Happy Hollow Road, Shiloh Church Road, where the bus barely fits on the road. It was awesome. Awesome. Well, one day I picked up all the kids, and I dropped them off at the school, and I always checked the bus to make sure there wasn't a kid still on there, right? Like, I didn't want to make the news. And so I checked the bus. I got all the way back to the back seat on my brand-new school bus, and somebody had taken a Sharpie, and they drew something. Now, it's not as bad as you think it would be, right? They drew a very big smiley face on the back seat, right? It could have been worse. I know. But... Sharpie on my bus, my brand new bus on a back seat. Man, I was, I was mad. And so I pick up all the kids from the school, and I begin my school bus route that afternoon, and uh, I get on the, the speaker. Guys, why don't you listen up? One of you disrespected, defamed my bus, and I want you to know 
I will find you. I will have you arrested, and I'm asking for the death penalty. Do you understand that? And I look in the back mirror. Like, I say, here's what's going to happen. Whoever did that, you're going to find me before you go to school tomorrow. And you're going to tell me who it was. Now, I got a camera. I had no idea if it was real or not. It was a camera in there. But I thought I had them at the death penalty thing. And so I dropped all the kids off, and the next morning, I knew who it was. He gets on the bus, and I'm just eyeballing him the whole time. I could tell he hadn't slept all night. His lip was quivering. He was terrified. But he came up to me when he got on the bus and said, Hey, uh, bus driver, middle school guy. It, it was me. I was like, yeah, no kidding. I said, Dude, why, why, would you, why would you ride on my school bus? <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> what? He said, it was an accident. I was like, let me hear you pl play this out. He said, well, I was holding a Sharpie in my hand like this, and you hit the brakes. <laughs> it was my fault that he drew a smiley face. He said, you hit the brakes, and I said, so you're telling me that I braked in such a pattern that you drew an eyeball, eyeball, a mouth, and then a big circle around it? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, and I'm not as stupid as I look. I said, let's try this one more time before I have you arrested. Death penalty. He said, I did it. He did. He finally told the truth. Man, the weight of the world was, was off of him. And you know what was amazing? I had a chance for that little boy to go, man, listen, I'm not going to turn you in. I'm going to let you go free this time. Because, you know, somebody did that for me. Man, I was caught. My sin. Somebody... Somebody did that for me, but I'll never forget, finally, all the, all the lies and all that kind of stuff, it finally came out the truth. And man, he could take a deep breath. And because that, I was able to let him go free that day. You know, I got to thinking as we talked last week about the gospel, that one of my favorite parts of the gospel is the freedom that Jesus brings to the heart and the life of every believer. Freedom, mind you, that Jesus purchased with his very life. And so this morning, I want us to drop in on a conversation of freedom that Jesus has. He's talking to some Jews. The conversation is concerning, is Jesus really truthful in what he says? Is Jesus really truthful in his claims? And is he really who he says he is? Because he stood there at the feast and said, I'm the light of the world, which means he was claiming to be God in the flesh. And here's how that conversation went in John chapter 8. And by the way, let me just remind you, 34 days left until Christmas. Here we go. John chapter 8, verse 31. Here's what Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone, really. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now here we see a little bit of confusion on the part of the Jews, which led to a really big misconception. You see, they thought because they were religious, they were free. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, they claim here to have never been slaves. Guys, this is not true. 
In fact, if you study your Old Testament at all, you know that the descendants of Abraham knew very well what it was like to be enslaved. In fact, they were enslaved to Egypt, to Assyrians. We know this through our Old Testament. They were enslaved to the Babylonians and the Persians and the Macedonians, to the Egyptians again, to the Assyrians. And ultimately, here in John chapter 8, they find themselves enslaved to Rome. But what Jesus does in this conversation is he doesn't talk to them about their physical slavery and the history of it. Jesus begins to engage them in a far more dangerous form of slavery. And it was the spiritual slavery of sin. He begins to engage them there. And so as Jesus begins to dish out some truth to them, he shares with them an important statement. Then you will know the truth, the scripture says, and the truth will set you free. I I want you to notice something here. Notice where truth is founded, where truth is grounded, and where truth ultimately is sound. Do you notice what Jesus says here in verse 31? In my teaching. In me and my teaching was for truth. It sounds so Jesus, consider this. God in the flesh, the word made flesh according to John 1.14. Truth himself according to John 14.6. Jesus is the absolute authority for all truth. You see, truth is established by the word of God and the heart of God according to the very design of God and by the very will of God. Notice that Jesus doesn't base truth in feelings, experience, on whether it offends somebody or not, or he doesn't base truth in the politically correct. Be reminded this about truth. Truth is not conditioned on what the hearer wants to believe. Rather, truth is established by God. Absolutely. Truth. Is there a word more under attack? A word that is more distorted than that one nowadays? You might ask yourself why. Because here's where we find ourselves in our culture, that instead of acknowledging truth as being established by our creator God, which, by the way, is absolute truth, humanity has exchanged God's truth for relative truth. And we're going to dive into that. So this morning, let's talk about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth together. And let me ask you this, what is absolute truth? What does it mean when we speak of absolute truth? Well, here's what we're going to argue. Absolute truth is biblical truth. It is practical. It's empirical, meaning we can observe it. Absolute truth is found in the teaching of God's Word. And so let me just illustrate this by sharing some absolute truths that just really aren't too popular outside the building. And sadly, sometimes in the building today. Absolute truth that is found that There's one God, not many gods, as Jesus declares and asserts in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. You see, there is truth that we celebrate as a church, that marriage is the union of one man and one woman in a covenant, committed relationship for life. That gender is designated by God at birth for his glory 
and our good. Truth that sexuality is a gift from God to be enjoyed as he designed it, not as we desire it. Truth that the marriage bed ought to be kept pure. That boyfriends don't get husband privileges and, and wives don't get boy or the girlfriends don't get wife privileges. The idea that we keep the marriage bed pure. You see the truth that all life is valuable from the womb to the tomb. That no matter how small a person is beloved by God. Truth that racism is evil no matter where it is found. That one race is not better than another nor is one race inherently evil. That all people everywhere are equal in value, equal in dignity and equally loved by our God. Remembering to hate someone because of the color of their skin is to hate the very God who colored their skin. You see such truth, absolute truth, today is under attack. You see, the truth of God is offensive to, to those who deny that absolute truth exists. Labels such as intolerant, racist, radicals, xenophobic, bigot, homophobic, transphobic, and on and on are hurled at truth bearers as an attempt to silence truth. And I want you to hear me, church. I mean, we don't buy into bullying tactics that stated, if you do not acquiesce to my truth, affirm me, endorse what I feel, or celebrate everything about me, then you hate me. Man, I love people, and all people, no matter what they believe. I, I love people who disagree with me, and I, and I disagree with them. Difference does not mean hatred. Disagreeing does not mean demonization. We must not react to a culture offended by everything by watering down the truth. To make it more palatable, rather we must respond to culture with truth and love in order to save it. You see, it seems all the more that we live in a world offended by everything but sin. Offended by everything but sin. We ourselves must not be offended. Rather, we go on the offense with the good news of the gospel that brings freedom. You see, the truth of God, it transcends cultures, it transcends revolutions, and it transcends time. Malachi 3.6 reminds us that the God we serve is unchanging, therefore truth is unchanging. It's absolute. And following Jesus and his word is truth that will set you free. I, I found this posted the other day, and I just loved it. If you've got kids around the house, it's a, it's a dad who said this, me pre-kids, I'm never going to lie to my kids ever. Me with kids. I just got off the phone with Santa, the firefighter dog from Paw Patrol, and the Green Power Ranger, and they all agree, if you don't put your shoes on now, they're going to have to put down another unicorn. I love that. I love it. I'm putting that in the pocket for later on today. You know what's amazing? There are so many lies that go around. So many distortions. And yet you and I as believers, we have absolute truth in the flesh in Jesus Christ. We know truth because of his, because of his teaching. So if absolute truth is what it says it is, and by the way, it is. 
How do we rebel against such truth? And that is we buy into the lie of relative truth. People buy into the lie of relative truth, which is not biblical truth. Rather, it's based on an individual or group's shared experience and desire. Relative truth is not fixed. It's ever-changing. In phrasing, it may, say, it may sound like this. Hey, you find your truth. You do you. Your truth isn't necessarily my truth, and my truth is not necessarily your truth. I, I want you to hear me. Relative truth is, has no truth to it at all. It's a pseudo-truth. It's a false truth that is blinding many hearts and minds today. It states, it declares that there is absolutely no absolute truth, which is an absolute statement, which is an oxymoron. But here we go. And we find that this relative thinking, in fact, is saying that, that, relative, that relative truth is an absolute statement, which relative truth tries to deny. And at the end of the day, you listen to that, you go, my brain hurts. It's confusing. So let me put it this way. The law of gravity is true. Why? Because what goes up must come down. What goes up must come down. It's true because you know what? We can observe it. You just did. We can measure it. And by the way, we're all bound by it, aren't we? Gravity is true. It exists. But you know what? I don't want to believe in gravity. I don't want to believe in it. In fact, it doesn't exist. I don't have to believe in gravity. But you know what? Gravity, let me tell you why I don't lie, because it offends me. Every time I go in my bathroom and I step on that scale, gravity grabs a hold of me and tells me I'm fat. And it offends me. So I ain't believing it. I'm not going to believe in it. And I can do that. But if I go out here to this balcony and I jump off, not believing in gravity, being offended by it, I still wind up on the pavement broken and bleeding. Because whether I believe in it or not, it's true. Whether I believe in it or not, it's true. Can I hear, can, can you hear me? Just truth is truth. Whether you want to believe in it and mess with it or not. You see, truth is not relative. It is real, and it receives its power, its validity from our creator God, truth himself. And those who champion relative truth apart from Christ will find themselves broken forever. Broken forever. You see, relative truth is no truth at all. But the question comes, why is it so prevalent? Why is it so much tout, why so much touted about it? Why is it so invasive in our community and our culture? And here's why. When I am the God of my life, when I establish my own truth and determine my own truth, then I'm accountable to no other, to no higher power other than my feelings, my desires, my urges. And I can live solely alone for what makes me happy. It's the sin of idolatry of self. It is self-worship. And so-called relative truth is not freedom. Rather, what Jesus does is he exposes it as slavery. Watch this. And Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But watch this. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hey, can I share with you one of the great beauties of the gospel? Is that Jesus wants to move us from being slaves to sons and daughters of God. Don't believe me? Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Hey, catch this. You ready? A slave to sin has no seat at the table in God's kingdom, but a son, a daughter of God, is family forever. Galatians 4, 7 reminds us that you are, listen, good news, believer. You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. You are no longer slaves, but you are a child of God. That is, that is freedom. Hear the proclamation of Paul in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit who gives life, watch this, has set you free. From the law of sin and the law of death. Jesus has freed us from sin and death. We are no longer slaves. We are sons. We are daughters of God. John Newton, a former slave trader, who himself was enslaved to sin, who would write the beautiful lyrics to Amazing Grace, was forever freed from his sin by Jesus. In fact, would go on living his life, preaching the good news of the gospel. Well, of course, he dies. And on his tombstone to this day, it reads this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, meaning a, a lost person, a degenerate. A servant of slaves in Africa, it reads, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That he had long labored to destroy. You see, John Newton was a man who was set free by the amazing grace found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah best summed this up looking 700 years into the future, long before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He said this of Jesus' ministry, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners. What? good news we have to share. What good news. You know, you might be listening to all of these passages about freedom, and as a believer, you may ask this question. Can a believer become enslaved again to sin? In all these passages of freedom, can a believer become enslaved again? Simply put, yeah. Yeah, you can. You know that, don't you? You know that to be true. But here's what we find. That becoming enslaved again to sin as a believer is a choice we make. It is not your fate. Because you're free. Because you are free. 
to become enslaved again is a choice the believer makes. It's not your fate because you are free. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, I love this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, church. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We must stand firm in faith and fight the temptation to go back to our sin, to go back into slavery. But Anthony, what happens if we do? What does that look like? Well, I'm going to share it with you. To be honest with you, it's kind of gross. Listen to Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. What does it look like for a believer who has been freed to be a slave again to sin? Guys, I love dogs. But whenever one of my dogs throws up and goes back to eat, I want a new dog. Mine's broken. I don't want it anymore. They disgust me, and it turns my stomach. But what turns my stomach even more is the seasons in my life where I'm free in Christ, and I find myself enslaved again to sin. Hey, what ought to turn your stomach more than this proverb is the times in our lives where we are free in Christ and yet we return to our sin. You see, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 would say, You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, the Bible says. In love. Hey, you ready? Our freedom in Christ leads us out of slavery, not into it. At its very heart, freedom leads us out of slavery, not into it. Peter would write this Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. I, I want you to hear me, church. Our freedom in Christ is never a license to sin. Never. In Christ, we have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Freedom from our sin, but in Christ, there is no freedom to sin. And I'm not here this morning to tell you that walking with Jesus is easy. I'm just here to remind you that you are free. I'm not here to tell you that you won't ever struggle in and against sin. I'm just here to remind you, church, you are free. I'm not here to tell you that Jesus will take away every temptation in your life. I'm just here to remind you that in those temptations, you are free. I'm not here to tell you that you will never find yourselves enslaved to sin again. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be because the sons and daughters of God, you're free. You're free. You're free. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, I love it. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let me give you a challenge off that. You ready? So live like it.
love like it. Bring honor and glory to God like it. Hold to his teaching. Stand firm in his truth. And as sons and daughters of God, know you are free. And praise God for this truth, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Emancipation Proclamation issued by Abraham Lincoln on January 1st, 1863. Perhaps one of the greatest moments in American history. You see, that proclamation established from here on out that all enslaved people, and actually hear the words, shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. Man, isn't that good writing? Forever free. One of the greatest moments in our nation's history. Yet two and a half years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation in the spring of 1865, General Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas. And for the first time, some 250,000 slaves heard the Emancipation Proclamation. For the first time, they had heard the words, you are forever, you are forever free. June 19th, 1865, marked the end of slavery. And later on in December of that year, the 13th Amendment codified freedom in the moral and legal fabric of our nation. I got to thinking about that day and I thought, how it must have been to hear for the first time you are free. How beautiful those words would have been in association to someone who had only known slavery. How wonderful that good news must have been to a mama holding her kids, a daddy out working in the field. You are, you are free and forever free. The tragedy of that is they were free for two and a half years and no one ever told them. For two and a half years, they were free and yet still enslaved. Because let me remind you what I said last week. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And thank God it got to Galveston, Texas, where people were told, you are forever free. You know, there's people all around us who find themselves enslaved spiritually. Imprisoned, chained, shackled by sin. And yet here we sit today with good news that every man, woman, boy, or girl, that they are free if they'd but just put their faith and their trust in Jesus. But it's only good news if it gets there in time. Hey, and believer, the good news is not only for those who are lost, but the good news is for you today. And let me remind you, you are a son 
You are a daughter of God. And you are free. So let me ask you. What is it that's enslaving you today? What has you in chains? What has you shackled? What has you in prison? What sin has crept into your life that has seemingly taken away your freedom? Is it addiction? Are you an alcoholic? Is it adultery? Maybe gluttony or vanity, pride, fear or insecurity. Maybe idolatry. Maybe it's success or or fame or fortune. Maybe pornography or maybe worry. I may not know its name, but you do. And you've been enslaved to it for some time now. Maybe today, maybe today, it is time that you make the proclamation to anything that enslaves you. No, no, no. I am a son or I am a daughter of God and I am free. I am free. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.